0: Hello, and welcome to Hope Church. We're a local church with chill style, real faith, and no perfect people allowed. Thanks for checking out our podcast. This is a message from our SoCal location in the Santa Cruz, California area. We hope this message is encouraging. If you live near either of our locations, we'd love to have you join us for one of our many Sunday services.
1: Hey, good morning, you guys. Welcome. How are you? If you haven't met me, my name is Chris Matley. I'm the uh, senior associate pastor here at Hope and Hope Soquel and at Coastlands in Aptos. We're kind of th- three locations, but one church. And uh, two of the things that I oversee are worship and teaching, which is what we're what I'm about to do right now. Do some teaching. And um, so we. Uh, so if, if you haven't met me, you, you might know, not know my story. But um, I. Uh, I grew up in a Catholic church. I, my family was a part of a Catholic faith community for until I was about 12 years old, and then we made the leap to a, a little a wild and woolly evangelical church uh, down in Watsonville that isn't there anymore. And uh, that was a big change. Um, but when I was growing up, when I was really little, uh, growing up in the Catholic church, uh, ideas like uh, like hell were a big part of the the thinking and the you know our our tradition as we thought about the things of God and um, and with that came a lot of fear and misunderstanding for me. I I remember being about eight or nine years old and thinking a lot about this idea that if I were to to sin, to do something wrong, and then all of a sudden Jesus was to come back, like I would be separated from him. Or my other thought was that a loved one or a friend would would do the same and, and that we would be we would be separated. In fact, <clears throat> this so consumed me that there was a time, I think I was about 9 years old, there was a period of time where I used to I lay awake at night thinking about it and I'd think about all the things that my brothers had done during the day. I mean, I wasn't thinking I think I was thinking I'm good. I'm good. You know, I haven't done anything. But you know, I and I get down, I wake up my younger brother Nick. I go, "Nick, Nick, wake up. You need to pray and ask Jesus for forgiveness in case he comes tonight." <laughs> Cuz I didn't want to be separated from him, you know. That was that was the fear I was living. And it was, you know, based on a misunderstanding of what God had said in his word. And, and then when we went to this Protestant church, then uh, I heard other ideas. Uh, I heard the word the rapture for the first time, or the phrase, this idea that Jesus was coming again, but he'd come early and he'd speared away all of his, his followers before anything bad was to happen in the earth. And, and that if you were a true follower of Jesus, you'd meet him in the sky and there'd be a, you know, there'd be a trumpet that would sound, you know, and has anyone else heard these ideas, right? So, you know, this is when I was like 13, 14 years old, and me and my two younger brothers thought this idea was like wild, right? And so we thought it would be funny to play a prank on my older sister one day. We laid out all our clothes on the floor in the shape of like what it would look like if three people were just whisked out of their clothes. Because of course, in our thinking, like if you were called home to Jesus, of course, everyone would just go up naked. I don't know why we were thinking that. Like, like just, you know, this is a very 13-year-old thing to think, just, just the sky full of naked people, you know. But we laid out all our clothes, and we even took our shoes, and we tucked our socks into the shoes, you know. And then we, like, hid in the hallway, and we heard my sister come in from school, open the door, and I was like, Tada! you know. Anyway, we thought it was funny. She didn't think it was funny, but we thought it was funny. <clears throat> But this idea just compounded this, this thought that I had that, that Christianity was about, somehow about exclusion. Who's in and who's out. And it wasn't until much later, as I read the scriptures for myself and I heard new ideas that I realized it's actually, it's actually not. And, and it's quite the opposite, in fact. Have you ever, so we're gonna think about this question as we, as we look at the scriptures today, we're gonna think about this question and ask it of ourselves, and think about it, and ponder it. Have you ever felt left out or excluded? Have you ever felt left out or excluded? I I don't just mean that time that you didn't get picked for the kickball team in school. I mean, like, or maybe it is that. But have you ever felt just on one side, and others were on the other side somehow? So we're in a series called Last Days, in which we're not talking about the end of the world, actually. Um, you know, this series for me is, is, um, is really about this passage of Scripture in Hebrews, which says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets, and many times in various ways, but in these last days, so the, the author of Hebrews believed that the last days, the last age of human beings began with the death and resurrection of Jesus and would continue on until his coming. So we're in the last days, but we've been in it, for a really long time, okay? Um, and, and then the question is then, how then, if this is that period of time, how then should we live? Um, I have a picture I want to show you, if you have that, Richard. I, I do a lot of drawing, and sometimes, I have piles of just drawings that I've done and doodles over the years, and I was digging through some drawings the other day, and I found this one, I don't even remember when I drew this, but uh, some time ago, And it was just kind of like a funny idea that popped in my head and I drew it. But I sometimes think when people in churches talk about things like last days or they they speak from revelation, you know, this is kind of what people picture in their mind, you know. People obsessed with figuring out the end. And that's not who we are. That's not what we're doing today. In fact, as we contemplate this label, really what we're grappling with is how then should we live in these days. Last week we were in Revelation chapter 6 and it's the the image the the it's the vision that John had of a scroll being opened by Jesus one seal at a time, right? And we went all the way through six seals. And then that if you remember that chapter ended with this line right here. For the great day of God's wrath has come, who can withstand it. So, in other words, we saw as the scroll was being opened that the history of human beings and what we've done with the earth that God has given us, it's not been that great, right? We haven't, it hasn't been a great moment for us, this human history thing. Um, and, then, and then God is now moving into human history to do something about it, to restore justice, to heal his people, to bring healing back to earth. And as he does, as he moves into human history, something happens. The, the universe begins to tremble and shake and this cry goes out in John's vision. Who can withstand the day of the Lord? So we're going to answer that question today by opening chapter 7. This is the next seven. So if you, if you have a Bible with you or a Bible app and you want to turn to chapter 7, we're going to start with verse 1. But to help us understand this passage and really the whole book, it's important to know that it was written against the backdrop of something really terrible that had happened. So all of the books of the Bible were written and concluded before this terrible event. Now, some people speculate that Revelation may have been written after, but either way, this event was the backdrop for this particular book. But it's not mentioned anywhere in the Bible directly. Um, About 40 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus, something happened in Jerusalem. There was um, an event that started in 66 AD. It was called the First Jewish Revolt. Has anyone heard of this? The first Jewish revolt. It's the first because there were more to come. But this was the big one. The Jews rose up and they actually kicked the Romans out of Jerusalem for a period of time. They established their own government and the Romans uh, were expelled from Judea. But then Emperor Nero raised an army and came and decided to take uh, Judea back. And when he did, in 70 AD, he marched all the way into Jerusalem, Uh, he sacked the city burned whole portions of it to the ground, and he destroyed the temple, and it's never been raised again. That was in 70 A.D. This would have been like, do you remember after 9-11, for us, how like the weeks and months and even years afterwards, like it informed our thinking and the way we felt. Like if you turned on the television and watched late-night television, instead of comedy, it was like people being serious, you know? That's how it was. This is, this is the backdrop for this book that we're reading, is this terrible event that happened to other people a long time ago. All right? So this is Revelation chapter 7, verse 1. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. And then I saw another angel coming out from the east, having the seal of the living God and he called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea, do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Now this is an image that is a, it's a reversal. So John is using this image of uh, of followers of God, that's us, being marked on their forehead. And this this is a reversal of, of a reality, a very cruel reality, that Romans would mark their slaves on the forehead. They would brand them. Now, this wasn't like household servants or people um, that had voluntarily worked as uh, in indentured servitude. This was, these were human beings that were, they considered to be property. This was a life sentence. You, you, you don't get away from a brand on your forehead, right? What John is doing is he's taking that image and he's reversing it and show, and showing that we are not branded as slaves instead we are branded with freedom right it 's an image of the freedom that we have in Christ also I like this this picture John gives us these constant reminders that although the world feels out of control, does the world ever feel out of control to you like I was just reading this whole article about how hot it 's been and why that is <laughs> or why it could be and I was like kind of freaking out a little bit about it, you know but this Image of God's angels holding back to the storms and the winds. God is, God is still in control of his universe. This is his universe. John wanted to remind us. All right, now John is going to give us two images now in his vision of the church, of his people. Here's the first one. He says, then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000. Now, this is just a side note, but there are people that have obsessed over this number. It's just a symbolic number. All right, it's just a symbol. 144,000 is it's just an idea and He says, they come from all the tribes of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Nephtali, 12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000. From the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulon 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph 12,000 and from the tribe of Benjamin how many yeah you got it that was good you didn't really think I was going to read all those did you I read all 12 of them I did this is this is uh, a description of what biblical scholars uh, refer to as the spiritual Israel so what does that mean so this isn't talking about national Israel either now or then Um, It's not talking about ethnic Israel. It's it's talking about a spiritual people that have come out of the ethnic people of of Israel through a promise. It's also talking about the Jewish believers that had come to faith in Jesus but had to flee Roman persecution. So remember I told you there there was this terrible event, right? And John is predicting that these people in and around Jerusalem would, would flee. And as they did, they would carry with them into the world the message of the new kingdom. Now if that hadn't happened, we we might not be here today. Those people picked up and left everything they knew to take the message of Jesus out into the world. All right, now here's the second description of the church. He says, after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. So there's no number on this one. From every nation, Every tribe and people and language standing before the throne and before the, the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and they were holding palm branches in their hands. Does that sound familiar? Do you remember when Jesus rode into Jerusalem for the first time? What did people do? They waved palm branches, right? And they cried out in a loud voice Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's Jesus. This right here, this beautiful picture is this is the family that God promised to Abraham and to Sarah. He said your family would be like the stars in the sky, or the grains of sand at the seashore, right? This great multitude is the fulfillment of that prophecy and that promise. And that's us, that's you and I. And it's, it's diverse, and it's, it's inclusive, it's membership, is a cross-section of all humanity. What do you say? For every nation, every tribe, every people, and every language. All different kinds of human beings all standing together. Glorified, made righteous. Why? Because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Did you notice the inclusion of the white robe? We've been given a white robe. We didn't start out with white robes, right? We were given this this gift through the sacrifice of Jesus. And he goes on to say, All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell down on their faces before the throne and they worshipped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. This is a predictive image of something that's happening, something powerful. This is the physical and the metaphysical universe coming back into alignment for the first time since the Garden of Eden. You know, in the Garden of Eden, something was broken. There was, you know, the the, the biblical authors talk about it like this: There's, there was the land and the sky earth and heaven right and there was what was in between and there was no separation in the garden story God and human beings interacted with one another but then something was lost something was broken and this image right here is those things coming back together and people worshipping in that moment when we engage, like, so Savannah just led us in some songs, and we sang those songs, and we call that worship, right? We, we say, let's stand, let's worship. When we do that, we engage in something that is connecting to a moment that's going to happen in the future where we, we're adding our voices to that multitude and bringing honor and glory to God. That's, that's pretty amazing, right? Then one of the elders asked me, these in the white robes, who are they and where did they come from? And John answered. He said, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. The great tribulation. All right, so this is a phrase that uh, lots of people talk about and disagree about and have opinions about. What is the great tribulation? Well, the tribulation uh, was a heavy metal band that uh, I tried out for, for guitar when I was in college. Uh, three times, um, but I was told that my sound was too contemporary, so I never made it in the Great Tribulation. It's okay, they didn't go anywhere, so didn't turn out well for them either. Actually, the Great Tribulation means a time of great suffering, of uh, a, a tumultuous time, a time where things are upended, um, a difficult time. This is one of those terms that gets people stirred up and debating about this book, and for many people, uh, they imagine that this describes a future event where the Earth is filled with turmoil and strife like never before. And this view, actually, it was so common when I was growing up that you would think that that was the view that everybody had, but um, reality, there are other ways of looking at it. In fact, um, I believe that you can believe that, but you don't have to, you don't, you don't have to. There's another way of thinking about it, and it's this, that, that human history is filled with great tribulations. Um, we talked about one, 70 AD, the, the world um, in, in, uh, in Israel, in, in Jerusalem, was rocked for these people. That would have been a great tribulation if you were living through it. Uh, the rise of Nazi Germany in the middle of the um, 30s and into the 40s, uh, if you were living on continental Europe, you would think this is the great tribulation, right? Um, if, you, if you live in a small town in Ukraine right now, and you're huddled in the basement as Russian tanks drive by outside your door, you're living through a great tribulation, right? There may be something in your life right now that's taking place right now that feels like a great tribulation. The message is that Jesus' followers throughout history will meet one day in heaven, when heaven and earth are aligned, and they're gonna celebrate the things that they've overcome. I think there's gonna be conversations, you know? Like, you're here? That's amazing. Like, I, I wasn't sure I was going to make it, but I was sure you weren't going to make it. Like, this is amazing. Like, we're here. Let's celebrate. Did you, do you know what I've been through? Do you know what I've overcome to have to be here? No wonder they're singing, right? This, it's amazing that we're here. All right, here's the last verses from this chapter. Chapter 7. This is uh, 16 and 17. It says, Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night. In his temple, and he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb, Jesus, is at the center of the throne and will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I want to draw your attention to that phrase. I, As I was meditating on this chapter this week, I kept coming back to this phrase that he who sits on the throne will shelter them in his presence. And so I went looking at other translations. That's what we do. You know, let's see what other people have said about this. And um, some of them, in fact, many other translations said um, uh, he will extend his tabernacle over them. Tabernacle is one of those kind of strange, churchy words. You don't hear it outside of church, but it 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 means a place uh, for God's presence to dwell. Literally translated, it just means a tent, because when God first met with His people in the desert, all those years ago, He asked them to build a build a tent, and He called it a tabernacle that He could come and dwell in the middle of um, their camp. And so that's the same term that's used here. It's the same Greek word. Um, and you know, John wrote this very very carefully. Where this le- this This literature is so sophisticated. I don't think we understand just how sophisticated it is. He wrote it very carefully, and he picked this word, uh, a word that's only used one other place in the New Testament, and he's the one that also used it in the beginning of uh, John chapter 1. Listen to what he says in John chapter 1. He says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling place among us. It's the same word. He wants to dwell among us. He wants to Shelter us. He wants to. In fact, that word is not a noun. You know, we don't do this in English where we take nouns and we turn them into verbs. But in Greek, they would. They would say, uh, a tabernacle is a noun. It's an object. It's a tent, right? But you could also say it the way he says it here, that God wants to tabernacle you. He wants to tabernacle you. That's strange sounding, right? But what it means is he wants to extend his tent over you. So you're now inside. Remember, we talked at the beginning about feeling excluded. God wants to include you in a way that's irreversible. He's stretching out his presence. He's stretching it out into the earth. And where where is his presence stretching out from? Where is it coming from? About 100 years ago, Scientists developed an even more powerful telescope than they'd ever made before, and they looked up into the sky, and they took really accurate measurements and found something really startling that we didn't know until then, which is that the universe is not still, it's not static, it's expanding outward in every direction. And even more startling, every direction they looked, it was expanding outward seemingly from this point. And there was just a brief moment in astronomy where people thought, are we at the center of the universe? How very much like human beings to think that, right? But when we send satellites out with powerful telescopes, what we find is the same thing is true wherever they are. The universe is expanding out in every direction. So imagine a loaf of raisin bread, right? You put it in the oven, it's this big. And as it begins to rise, every raisin inside that bread would look out and see the loaf expanding in all directions at the same time. That's how the universe is working. And very much like that, that's how the kingdom of God is working in you. He's expanding out. He's tabernacling out his people and his future people through us. He's doing it through us. He's doing it through us and over us and in us and around us. And you remember the picture that John had. Where was the lamb? The lamb that Jesus was at the center. He's at the center. When we seek first the kingdom of God, when we put Jesus at the center, he uses his people to extend out his tent to even more people and cover the earth. Here's my observation for us today, that that God has an eternal rescue plan for us, and it gives us a reason to hold on. If you felt left out or excluded, if you felt deep in the, the throes of a great tribulation, hold on. Hold on. It may feel like you're in dark days right now, but the light is coming. The light is coming. And my second observation about when I, you know, when I read this chapter, the thing that I observe is that in God's eternal rescue plan, no one will be left out or excluded unless they want to be. It's generally us that makes all of these rules and roadblocks and cultural things that trip people up and stories about this and about that and, and our version of th- concepts like hell or the rapture. These are things that human beings create to keep others out, to make us feel more important or more special, right? That's what we do. We're a bunch of tribalists. We gather in groups behind walls, and we go, don't we feel safe and important and powerful together? Let's draw a line right here and make sure that it's clear that we're on this side and everyone else is on that side. And God is seeking to wipe away all those lines as he tabernacles all of us, as he extends his tent over the earth, and he welcomes all, all would consent to it. You know, this word consent doesn't get used in matters of spirituality very often. We use it in in other contexts, but I think this word, this idea of consent is actually foundational to understanding how God interacts with human beings. When we consent, we say yes to follow Jesus. He marks us spiritually. He marks us not for slavery, but for freedom, not for death, but for life, we're marked because we consented to that mark. And others, others in the end, will choose to go their own way. They'll, they'll, they'll say, No, thank you. I want to live apart from you, God. And ultimately, God will honor their choice. A famous writer once said, Hell is other people. <laughs> I think hell is isolation, I think it's being alone. And some people, in their heart, they mostly just want to be left alone. And in the end, if that's ultimately what they want, God will honor their choice. But for the rest of us, as we consent to following Jesus, as we say yes, he, he shelters us under his tent. And then he uses us to extend that tent out into the human race. That's an awesome, awesome idea, isn't it? That he's working through us in that way. So what do we do about it? Where does that leave us? Well, there's a couple things that we can do. One is that we can invite as many people as possible to be a part of the future that God has planned. God has an awe-inspiring future planned for us. Wouldn't you want to invite as many people as possible to partake in that? Right? When we look at that, that passage there of the great multitude, and we see that, there's people from, from every tongue and every tribe and every nation, every type of human being. Think about this, that great multitude of people that no one can count, every person there in that great multitude was invited there by someone else, including you, including me. So let's invite, as a community, let's posture ourselves. We're, we're out there inviting as many people. And I don't, I mean... I was going to say, I don't mean just invite them on Sundays. I mean, do that, absolutely. Invite them to come on Sundays, you know, be a part of something special. But just invite them into your life. Your life is where the kingdom is happening. God is doing something in your life if you've said yes to Jesus. Invite people into your life to be a part of the kingdom. And then, yeah, invite them on Sunday. We have pancakes and music. It's awesome. You should. And then, too, let's remember that we do not have to go through our tribulations on our own. This is maybe one of the great I think fallacies of western Christianity is that we we put on a mask, we put up a veneer and then we go to church. Right? We we put our nice clothes on and we put our nice shoes on and then we go to church. We make ourselves presentable, not just physically but emotionally. We go I can do it I'm going to pretend today and then we go that is not what God wants for us in fact it's precisely the opposite not that every Sunday you have to walk in and be a wreck I'm I'm not saying that but who are we pretending for and why what is that about He's inviting all of us equally into the great multitude to celebrate what he's doing in our life. There's not a hierarchy. There's not one person more special than the other. There's no line. There's no, there's no more tribes. So what are we pretending for? You know, the benefit of this widening of the tent is that we we now see that we are not alone. You know, Part of why he wants to spread his tabernacle over you is that so that you can know the goodness of God here in the land of the living. It's good to look forward to a future and hope, but he wants you to know his goodness now, here, in this place, today and tomorrow and next week. Your life doesn't have to be a miserable drudge lived in isolation, and then you just kind of like crawl across the finish line and make it to heaven. That's not what he has for you. It's not what he wants for you. It's not what he wants for us. So when we let go, I think, of this desire to shield others from our struggles, it makes us two things. It makes us vulnerable, and it makes us access, uh, accessible. Now, vulnerability is scary. It is, right? Right? To be vulnerable. It's, to be vulnerable means to drop your shield. Like, I've got a shield, and when I drop it, I expose my vulnerable self to you, which means that if you wanted to, you could hurt me. So it takes trust, we're building trust in community. But that's what he's giving us strength for. He fills us with his Holy Spirit, and he's saying, lower your shield a little bit more today. Because when we're vulnerable, we're also accessible. And when we're accessible, people see the kingdom working inside of us. And that's how that spreads. That's how the the tabernacling
0: is happening. I hope this message encouraged you to take the next steps in your relationship with God. The cool thing is that you don't have to do it alone. There are a lot of ways to, you can get connected here at Hope. Not only do we want you to feel at home at Hope, we'd love to help you find hope. Please check out discoverhope.church and click connect or just email us at info at discoverhope.church. Lastly, we give everything we can away for free and rely 100% on volunteers donations to support this ministry if you'd like to give to the mission of hope church you can select the give option on our website or text any amount to 831-800-2060 thanks again for tuning in